Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to Ryan Treasure, my voiceover person and the VP of Business Operations at Voice America Radio. We are streaming live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and we are streaming live audio on the Voice America Business Channel. I have to do a shout out to my more than 180,000 listeners to this series around the world. Anyway, let me go on with my, I want to thank everybody for being here. We have nine special guests and I'm going to open with some movie quotes. So today, the buzz comes from vintage movie classics. Number one, quote Margot Channing played by Betty Davis in All About Eve 1950 the quote was fasten your seatbelt it's going to be a bumpy night I think that's what we might be in for with our predictions today buzz number two this is from Yoda voiced and puppeteered by Frank Oz in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back 1980 sci-fi film do or do not there is no try I don't do good Yoda impersonating (laughs) I just Read them like I see them. And buzz number three, this is from Marty McFly, the one and only Michael J. Fox. You know the movie, Back to the Future, 1985. Somebody either has somebody talking in the background or a radio on. It's one of my guests because the studio mic is not open. Does somebody have a podcast playing or anything in the background? I have to ask. There's a lot of noise coming in. Okay, number three, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. There's a future. So could you, let me get my panelists. You can all wave hello when I ask. Could you have predicted the 22 years into a new millennium, we would still be quoting Margot Channing 70 years later, Yoda 40 years later, and Marty McFly 30 years later. How many of you could have predicted that I would be using these quotes and people would say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Anybody? Because I certainly could. I know you. none of you were around 40 years ago or 70 years ago. Maybe 20, 30, I'm not so sure. Okay, so if you're hoping, to my audience around the world, hoping to gaze into a crystal ball to see what 2022, and this is January 12th already, holds for your company, your industry, your community, and the world, we've got the next best thing. This is part five of my seven-week special this year, Crystal Ball Predictions. We're bringing you insights from more than 60, that's six zero thought leaders. I couldn't fit them all in on one show, so I have to do seven weeks covering the exciting technology strategies and trends that can help you and your business and your community grow and compete better in 2022 and beyond if that's where you want to go. Live today, January 12th, you'll hear nine visionary savvy predictions for the year ahead and perhaps beyond. So we have a drink list and Amon was asking me if he gets to talk about his his holiday drink. We probably will at the end. But to my listeners, pour yourself, listen, a cup of Joe or Earl, a little glass of Jack or Jim, a smaller glass of Bailey's, or if you have any leftover, Dom, enjoy yourself. And join us for Technology Revolution in the Future of Now 2022 Crystal Ball Predictions Live. Shout out to Mary Conroy at IDC and all of our IDC people here today. Thank you for joining. I'm going to read your name and your title. I want you to wave your hand at the LinkedIn audience when I call you. So, Namita Lamea, she leads the Life Sciences R&D Strategy and Technology Program at IDC. Hello, Namita. There she is. We have Leif Erickson. He's Research Vice President 
Future of Operations at IDC. How appropriate to have you here, Leif. We have Simon Ellis. He leads the Global Supply Chain Strategies Practice at IDC Manufacturing Insights. We have Leslie Hand. Hello, Leslie. Group Vice President for IDC Retail Insights. Boy, is retail going through a, an up and down right now, huh? We have Aman Agarwal, who is the founder and president of San Pram, S-A-N-P-R-A-M, transnational, an executive education company focused on technical fluency. Well, it's about time. And we have Eric Simone with us. Hello, Eric. Eric is the founder and CEO of Clearblade, Inc., an intelligent asset software company. Intriguing. We have Martin Stanzig. Hello, Martin, CTO, Chief Technology Officer for Rising. It's R-I-Z-I-N-G, a premier SAP consulting firm. We have Monsieur Loic Simon, who is on lots of these shows with me, Loic Comment Ça Va. He's the founder of Hashtag Social Selling Forum, a series of more than 60 so far IR. I think that's in real life and online events where enthusiasts share their experiences of social selling. And we have Isabella Wong with us. Isabella is the COO at the Creative House. She's a board member and operations director at the New York Marketing Association. That's a big title. And she's the author of, get this, The Digital Mind of Tomorrow. So let's get the party started. Namita, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please regale us with your, you told me you have exactly three and a half minutes. Would somebody set the timer on Namita? Namita, <laughs> welcome. Happy happy 22. I'm told that Happy New Year is, is so two weeks ago, Martin told me. So we're just saying, ha, let's say welcome to 2022. Let's do that. Namita, go ahead. What are your predictions, please? Well, happy 2022, Bonnie, and thank you for having me here um, as mentioned, I lead the R&D strategy and technology program at IDC, and I basically cover everything related to discovery and development, very passionate about data technology and analytics. And I would say that the industry is right now undergoing a huge cycle of dif- disruption. Basically, COVID-19 has created a burning need for accelerating innovation, and tech has served as a key enabler. So the pandemic served as a chief digital officer for healthcare and as the chief patient experience officer for life sciences. So, you know, just as healthcare on demand became the new norm for healthcare, clinical trials out of home became the new norm for life sciences. High tech and high touch have both joined hands to transform healthcare and life sciences with high tech, touch, I'm sorry, leading the way, blurring the borders between healthcare and life sciences. So we are seeing a digital fabric that's being woven not only across the care continuum, but across healthcare and life sciences. And we're also seeing the evolution of CRACO, which is the clinical, which is clinical research as a care option. So the concept of the digital front door, IDC defines that as all the touch points where pro- providers and payers can digitally interact with you know, patients or members to improve access, engagement, and um, experiences across the services continuum is not restricted to healthcare, but is being extended to life sciences, where you're having the digitally savvy patients of today demanding a richer patient experience provided by ambient intelligent interfaces. But there are a lot of challenges along the way. I think the first is the adoption of the new operating models, the change management aspect. As you know, it's not only about pharmas and biotechs, but it's also important for site staff and patients not visiting a hospital, telehealth, receiving therapy through an app, you know, like prescription digital therapeutics and the use of patient portals um, and conversational AI, these are all new to patients. So, and even for providers, just as things like decentralized trials and real world evidence are new for pharma companies. So whether it is decentralized trials or med adherence or prescription digital therapeutics or even intelligent patient concierge services, it's really about the seamless integration of data and workflows, 
driven by interoperable solutions that are going to be critical to optimizing patient experience and improving patient outcomes. Intelligence needs to be woven into all patient communications by leveraging technology, data, and analytics. And both care plans and clinical trials will need to be humanized to drive patient retention and loyalty. I think the industry has undergone accelerated digital transformation. We have seen a major shift to you know, hybrid or multi-cloud strategies, yet with medical records being 10 times more likely to be hacked than credit cards. And ransomware attacks against life sciences companies going up by 150% over the past year. There is definitely an intensified focus on data security and protecting patient you know, data privacy and need to comply with regulations like uh, you know, GDPR, General Data Privacy Regulation, HIPAA, and others. We're also seeing the growth of digital ecosystems and federated learning, and AI and machine learning are being leveraged for drug design to, and also to develop the right treatment models. But while you're seeing that, you also need to focus on aspects such as ethics and bias, especially when it comes to patients. And I feel the world is undergoing compression and decompression. So we are moving to care anytime, anywhere models in healthcare and decentralized trials in life sciences. And yet we're moving towards precision medicine strategies and towards highly personalized patient experiences. We're speaking about data democratization and uh, you know, data sharing. But while you're talking about those, at the same time, we're talking about tightening regulations around data security and privacy. So the future of healthcare and life sciences is going to be defined by companies that can find the right balance. Yes, we are headed in the right direction and we are moving fast, but I would say, ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be a bumpy night. <laughs> you told me you were going to weave one of my movie quotes in. Namita, that was beautifully done. Thank you very much. I feel healthier already just listening That's to your funny. predictions. I hope. Thank you. That that was absolutely charming. Nobody's ever done that before on these shows. Thank you very much. Leif Erickson, would you please take center stage? I'm putting you on full screen camera view, and it's time for your predictions. Leif, go. Great. Thank you, Bonnie. And I'm, and I'm going to really switch gears here because my world, the future of operations, is about machines, not people. Um, and the nice thing about machines is that they behave very predictably or they, they, they behave according to the laws of physics. So, you know, the, 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 the promise there when we talk about digital technology and data is if we have enough data and we have enough good enough analysis of that data, that we can get very predictable. In fact, I joke about, you know, sort of this, this future world of perfect predictability. And, and again, when we're dealing with machines, we, we can get there. Um, we talked about, you know, in your quotes, you know, can you believe we would be talking about this? Well, I was talking about the predictability of machines over 20 years ago and the promise of the internet, what we call the cloud today, and how that would literally transform how we use data how we manage our equipment, how we again uh, get to that point where, you know, things like, you know, accidents and, and, and uh, unplanned incidents in, in industrial environments and commercial environments don't happen anymore. Um, and so that was 20 years ago. Fast forward, we finally have the technologies to make it happen. We finally have the ability to put enough sensors in place to collect the data we finally have the ability to aggregate that data and analyze it in the cloud and, 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 and really get some new insights from it. Uh, we, we have the ability to share that data widely because of the cloud and, and collaborate around it. So that, that creates a, 
really a truly an inflection point for for the world of operations which which brings me to my prediction and and i think it's very timely there's a lot of talk about sustainability today um, and 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 what we can do for sustainability of course a lot of the focus and the buzz and the hype is around renewables and electric vehicles and all that stuff and yeah that's all great but that's a long runway what can we do today well, as it turns out, about 43% of the, the CO2 emissions that go in the atmosphere come from the industrial and commercial sectors, right? And, and again, a lot of those, those industries, those sectors, um, it's, it's about running machines. It's about how much energy you use to run the machines and what kind of emissions you put out there. So, so my prediction, our prediction is that by 2024, the, the use of data and analytics will have enabled a 3% reduction in CO2 emissions in the atmosphere by the industrial and commercial sectors. And this is equivalent to 400 million metric tons of CO2 that does not go in the atmosphere. And let me repeat that. That's with the use of data and analytics. That doesn't require any major capital investments. That doesn't require reinventing the world. It just requires doing things better, more efficiently, more reliably. And so, um, you know, some people look at it and say, well, that 3% reduction, that seems like a lot. It's actually not very much. Most industrial organizations will look at that and say, I can do better than that. But in, in order to sort of level out the laggards and the leaders, we use the number 3%. And that's a big number. Um, so... We fully expect that to happen. In fact, we probably will exceed that uh, by the year 2024. Thank you very much. Very well done. I'm on a casual basis having my engineer, Aaron Keller, keep track of the minutes just because we've never done this on the show. And you're actually all just keeping in your three to three and a half minute lane. So thank you very much there. We're setting the pace. Let's go to Simon Ellis, also at IDC. Simon, when you were on a, a podcast re recently with me, a recording, I remember you from other shows previously years ago. So it's all also nice to see you again. And putting you on full screen speaker view, it's time simon step up what do you see so so as you noted uh, in the brief introductions i i cover supply chain i'm a i'm a 35 year supply chain guy um been been thinking about supply chains for all my career um you know a couple of observations right so folks may not have heard but the supply chains having kind of a tough time lately um i i um I, I find myself saying on, on many occasions that when country leaders are talking about supply chain, it's not a good thing, right? It's, it's, because, it's not because things have gone really well. Um, it's become, because things have gone, gone poorly or, or at least have been, have been challenges. Uh, Bonnie, you may, not, you may not recall, but when I did an earlier session with you, my quote was from airplane, right? So uh, in the film, as things spiral out of control, the one character played by Lloyd Bridges, you know, a number of times through the movie says, you know, I picked a bad week to stop smoking or I picked a bad <laughs> week to, to give up drinking or I picked a bad week to stop, to stop sniffing glue, right? And, 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 I, and I think about that a lot because, you know, we have experienced an, an enormous um, level of challenge in the supply chain. And, you know, the, there's a tendency, I think, to be a little COVID obsessed, and, and I know I'm personally tired of talking about it. Um, 
But the reality is that, that, you know, as you think about supply chains and you think about it before 2020 and after 2022, you know, disruption has been sort of a constant companion, right? We, I mean, the, the story about the, uh, that large container ship getting wedged across the Suez Canal, right? Had nothing to do with COVID, I don't think. Um, I don't think, I don't think large ships are, 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 are getting infected with COVID, right? So there's lots of stuff happening in the supply chain, um, um, you know, that, that, that I think perhaps not caused by the pandemic, but certainly accelerated by it has sort of created this kind of new world. Um, and so one of the things I've been talking about a lot lately and thinking about is that, that I think we may have passed a, an inflection point in the supply chain, that we've gone from a world where uh, resources were largely unconstrained, not, not in all cases, right? We've been doing constraint management in, sub, in supply chains and in manufacturing for a very long time. But, but I think largely uh, resources unconstrained to a world where I think now we're living in a resource constrained world, M maybe for the next few years, perhaps f for the foreseeable future. And I think it changes fundamentally the way that we think about the supply chain. And I'll give, I'll give you one example. Um, is I was talking to a procurement guy a few weeks ago, and, and he said, you know, before this year, I was quite happy to negotiate to the lowest possible price because, because it was about asset and labor arbitrage. Now, if I take the time to negotiate to the lowest possible price, I may find the capacity isn't available for me anymore. And so we've, we've you know, as we go from unconstrained to constrained, I think the traditional labor and asset arbitrage choices that companies made are moving much more into speed and capacity. So it's more a speed arbitrage game than I think it is a, a labor arbitrage game. So that's that's my that's my three and a half minutes and I'm I counted down on my phone so I know it was three and a half minutes. So that was wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, I like to say, Simon, that uh, until uh, about two years ago, if you go to, we used to have cocktail parties, remember, and lunches and dinners. Who was talking about the word supply chain? It wasn't cocktail party no. parlance. It wasn't, no. it's like, yeah. oh, I ordered a screen yeah. door and it's coming yeah, next yeah. week. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, there's a ship stuck in the harbor and I don't know yeah. when it's coming and there's no batteries yeah. and there are no chips. Yeah. We, we, we collectively weren't talking about yeah. it. And now no, I think, and I, you know, the analogy I use all the time, and it's a it's a largely U.S. North American centric analogy. But if you're a if you're a, an NFL professional football fan and, and you know, you watch games, the only time offensive linemen's names get called is when they've committed a penalty. Right. And I think that there's a bit of that in the supply chain at the moment. We just there you go. I would be happy to go back to the time where where you say you work in supply chain and people are like, what's that? That, that's exactly where I was going. Yes, yeah, supply chain penalties. I like that. Leslie Hand at IDC, you're next. Go ahead, Leslie. What do you see in the crystal ball? Thank you so much, Bonnie. So, you know, I uh, have spent the last 14 years at IDC, um, you know, uh, managing our retail insights team here, um, but also leading kind of the, the thinking around omni-channel and how retail is changing and recalibrating. Um, and interestingly, I mean, um, the last two years have really just brought all of this to a head, you know, reflecting on what Leif said, um, you know, retail is all but standard and predictable. We are exactly the opposite of machines, right? We are dealing with so much change right now. I mean, we have the great resignation. We have fears of, you know, being in stores and having to run a business. 
um, face to face with customers who may be carrying diseases into our stores, right? Mm -hmm. They're real problems. And then the supply chain challenges that uh, Simon talked about, of course, have left us with empty shelves, unfulfilled orders, and that sort of thing. Um, and the, the year's headline really is, I mean, we're all shoppers, right? We all, we all know what's happening from a retail perspective, but we don't understand um, necessarily, although to your point, Bonnie, we're coming to understand what goes on behind the scenes, right? The yeah. supply chain challenges, the challenges in getting products to consumer. Um, and at the same time, um, we're understanding that the KPIs of retail have changed. Our performance expectations have changed. You know, we're, we're, we're working through the great resignation, right? Um, uh, trying to find staff to fill positions in physical stores, um, but we're also recalibrating for this new customer in this new supply chain by uh, creating fulfillment centers and fulfillment opportunities in stores, doing returns at stores. Um, retailers tell us that they're investing heavily in, you know, AI and cloud-based solutions that enable them to drive smarter decision processes and smarter stores so that they can do all of the things they need to do with fewer people, really. Um, and, um, and we expect that this is only going to continue to grow. Uh, there'll be more investments in things like computer vision. Um, we expect that 10% of the physical properties that retailers uh, manage will become fulfillment and return centers um, in order to really round out that omni-channel offering that they all have. Um, and these supply chain woes that Simon referred to um, are really going to drive a rethinking of how we source product, how we manufacture product, the sustainability things that uh, Leif referred to. Um, we're really going to look at um, how can we produce, um, I, I want to call it smarter products, products that waste less in their production um, and all the way through the fulfillment process to the consumer. So. Uh, a lot of change coming for us, uh, bumpy, but very exciting road ahead. Thank you very much. And, you know, one of my favorite ways to return a product, and I really give them a try. I really give it a chance. But if I have to, uh, I'm going to mention some brands here. Uh, my Amazon products can be a, a return code on my phone. I go to Kohl's. It's about 1.3 miles from my house. Kohl's is typically very empty, very clean. There are signs, follow the arrow. You go to the return desk. The person scans the QR code or whatever it is on your phone. They take it. You don't even have to wrap it up and pack it and you get a receipt and you get a gift gift receipt for a $5 on anything you want in the store that day at Kohl's. Talk about a meeting of, of neighbors, shall we say. Amazon's doing it online. Kohl's doing it, right, Leslie? Retail, on-site, in-person, brick and mortar, and they've made a partnership to get you into the store and then give you a reason, not just the easy return, but giving you a reason to stay and buy something. I like that a lot. Okay. And we'll see a lot more of that collaboration. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think it's a good idea. Uh, that's like getting uh, theater tickets when you go get a cup of coffee in New York at a, a deli or a coffee shop and, and you get free parking if you're going to the theater next. They used to do that. I don't know. I've been in New York in years. Okay, let's move on. Amon Agarwal is next. Amon, I'm putting you on speaker view. Talk to me. What do you see in the crystal ball? And welcome. 
Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. Um, my name is Aman again, and I'm the host of the Age of AI podcast. So I get to meet a lot of entrepreneurs who are actually using AI machine learning in their business, like for tangible business value, not for research projects. And so I've got three very disparate predictions from very disparate industries, because that's you know what I do for uh, on a weekly basis, meeting with all these, all these people from various industries. So my first prediction is about the healthcare space. Um, this is slowly already happening and it's incredible. It's that very soon, we will get more diseases diagnosed by software than by a human doctor, right? And the majority of surgeries will be planned with the help of AI algorithms. And I say that's because I, for example, there's this German AI com software company, which is building a product uh, based on 20 years of research, which can diagnose many respiratory and neurological diseases. Guess what? Just from hearing your voice, right? What? So it, you, you might have noticed like if it's yourself, when somebody's sick, they sound differently, right? They sound different. They sound like either weak or they sound erratic or whatnot, right? With AI, you take it to another level. It can really notice patterns in terms of your healthy speech. And when you're you know, stuttering or you have different uh, syllables like being pronounced differently or the strength of your voice and whatnot, and they can actually accurately predict hundreds of biomarkers just from a, an audio recording of when you were healthy versus right now when you're sick, right? That's actually a thing. Um, so that's one, right? My second prediction has to do with the global semiconductor supply chain crisis, which I think um, uh, Simon recently uh, just talked about, right? It's worse than many than most people think it is. And many of us will see the effects by the end of this year and early next year. So what's happening is the, the fabrication units in, you know, in East Asia, the waiting time for a chip, for a typical chip to come from the factory has gone from a waiting time of three months to 24 months over the last two years, all right? And this means many fledgling electronics companies across the planet will either shut down because they can't get supply or they will greatly raise their prices. And by the end of the year, many electronics products that we are used to will become much more expensive. So this has, you know, uh, incredible, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, effects on impact. You know, the affordability. Yeah, impact on the affordability of certain products, certain business models and whatnot, right? Uh, that's the other one. The third one is that within the next two years, I think the vast majority of people in this meeting and also in the audience will be using for and paying for at least one AI tool to assist them with their work as an intelligent partner, right? Whether it's creative writing or programming or marketing, design, learning, it doesn't matter, it's happening. Because I, every single week I speak with at least one company which is building tools that greatly maximize the output for certain knowledge workers, whether it's shift planning at McDonald's or circuit designers or radiation therapists at a cancer clinic. So I think, knowledge worker productivity is going to be uh, maximized, like magnified using AI tools in the next, uh, you know, several years. And uh, I'm, I'm personally, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm more optimistic about the my worldview about the world than ever before. Yeah. 
Thank you very much. Very, very much. Very interesting. I love getting people from disparate industries and companies together on these shows and just seeing where, where the predictions fall and what interests all of you, where your passions lie, where your, edu- where your self-education, where your professional uh, energy goes to, to bring these to the table. That's what's so fun about this. Eric Simone at Clearblade. You're up. Eric, talk to me. Hey, Bonnie. Happy 2022. Thank you for having me on again. Pleasure. Uh, so, look, uh, I've been in the industry, what, 33-plus years now? As I'm a software nerd, or at least I used to be. I lead a bunch of much smarter software nerds in the IoT, uh, AI, and edge space. So I'm really glad to go after Aman. I agreed with a lot of what he said. In fact, all of what he said. Um, and I'll tell you what my prediction is for 2022. And, I, and I'm seeing this in real ways. Uh, this is the year where we're going to see the haves versus the have-nots with respect to edge, AI, and IoT. Um, Look, the the doers versus the deliverers, the leaders versus the followers. I just came from a big customer yesterday that's doing real planning on ROI and commercialization with revenue numbers that are tied to their success goals for this year. And I'm seeing this across the industry. I'm seeing it across oil and gas. I'm seeing it across agriculture. I'm seeing it in healthcare, seeing it in transportation. And this is a stark contrast to what I've seen in the last several years, which has been more patience around what I call IoT science experiments. Lots of builders building things. And you know, look, I'm an engineer. We all love to build things, but it's time to put the power into the hands of the business people and stop talking so much about edge computing and IoT and even AI. It's gotta be software products that work for the business. And the businesses more than ever are demanding results. Products that they can use without needing to have a computer science degree or a data science degree, right? Um, um, The nerds, we have to do a better job and we're doing a better job of delivering product that's usable by business people, by the operators in the factory, right? Uh, uh, at the aerospace company, those sorts of things. So um, I'm seeing in, in a good way, this fatigue of, of all this talk over the last several years of how do we put this stuff together? Um, and I've been saying this for a while. I think there are far too many, what I call IOT science experiments out there where lots of people, companies recreating the wheel and I am starting to see the the ones pushed through that are leading by thinking about things in this way and really focusing. I think this pandemic has helped us focus on what really matters with respect to things like supply chain, transportation. It's pushing them to think of things very differently. And that's, that's has me extremely encouraged because now we can put the power of all this technology into the hands of the people that need it. Uh, in a way of, of of no code, in a way that they can consume, in a way that makes them happy. So it's much like we deal in the consumer side with our, our iPhones and things. These are intuitive to use. Um, Leslie said something about retail earlier and computer vision. I'm seeing that happen where uh, retailers are innovating in ways where they're using camera technology and identifying dwell time for consumers that are looking at products at a massive uh, store and getting help from uh, from salespeople because they're being notified that, hey, on aisle seven, 
uh, Bonnie's been sitting there looking at light bulbs for five and a half minutes and she can't figure out what skew to pick. Why don't you go help her out and, and, and give her a hand? So, you know, jobs are on the line. I've seen um, lots of turnover for leaders that haven't delivered this. And now people are in these jobs and they're being forced to deliver. And they say, I don't want to make the mistake that my predecessor, you know, open up the second envelope joke, right? Um, I want to be able to deliver this value. So I'll throw in my movie quote to end. Uh, life moves at you pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you may just miss it. If you don't, if you don't stop and look at the business value, you may be looking for another job. So, uh, you know, shout out to my friend Ferris Bueller from Chicago. Ferris Bueller, absolutely, uh, Eric. I, I'm very disturbed by one of the things you said. I'm I'm very upset because obviously somebody told you that I did spend five and a half minutes in the light bulb aisle at Harris Teeter in Durham, North Carolina, at the Corner Shopping Center about two months ago, trying to figure out. What style, what brand did I want to spend $15 for a four-pack, $22 for a four-pack? Did I need the ones with the white wrap? Did I need the LED? Did I need the soft white, the medium white? The, did I need the pink ones? Where were the red ones I wanted? It was a big challenge to stay in the supermarket and contemplate the future of light bulbs in my home. It really I usually, is. I use that example because I actually had that data. Just so you know, so we have to talk about some privacy stuff, but uh, yeah, I think so. I was, I, I know, I know the red hair, it's unmistakable, and the red disco, the drummer boots, I know it's unmistakable. Thank you very much. Let's yeah, go thanks. to our next guest, Martin Stanzig. There you are, Martin, full screen. Talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bonnie, and, and it's great to follow all of you. Um, so a few references I want to make. Anand, you can already cross me off the list. Uh, we're already using machine learning functionality to help our programmers, you know, essentially complete the, the code that they're writing. So what, what um, Microsoft brought out last year, just in the, in the sense of, of machine learning and how it's actually creating efficiencies in real life is you're writing a line of a comment of what you're thinking your next, your next few lines of codes are, and the code just shows up. Now, all you make, have to do now is to see whether or not that's, that's the right way you want to program it. But that's reality. You know, that's what we're doing today. Um, it's seamless in, in our development process. So as I said, great, great uh, explanation. And yeah, I'm, I'm off the list. So um, <laughs> that brings me to, to my first prediction, which is sort of the embedded machine learning to drive business results. You know, following, following Eric and what he said, I, I cannot agree more. You know, we're seeing the same thing. Uh, machine learning, and, and we've talked about it in previous, previous years, that machine learning is the next big thing. I think it's the next big thing, but it's it's now subtly entering the business market. Yeah, it's it's sort of part of every application. It might be just a little functionality here, a recommendation there, an an iPhone recommendation as to where to what folder to move my email there. All of that is machine learning. People don't might not realize that it is, um, but what we see is I think the machine learning functionality and the the business benefits that it brings will get bigger and bigger every year we're looking at it. So, so that's, I think, the interesting, the interesting aspects that we have. And we have some really, really in- exciting um, ideas that we are, we're um, you know, innovating on this year and next year that are in that space. I might come back to that a little bit later. So that leads me to my second thing, which is AI ex- explainability or machine learning explainability. And I think Eric touched on that as well a little bit earlier, which is, um, you know, I think I mentioned that last year. 
machine learning results are not black and white. It's not one or zero. You usually get a percentage. You know, we're, you know it's uh, 78% sure that that is the right answer. Uh, that's usually what you get. And then you make a dis- determination as to is that above my threshold or is that below my threshold. But the end user needs to know that, especially in a business scenario, you know, if I don't have a yes or no, you know, I want to be able to make a decision, you know, is 78% really the threshold that I want to use? So I need to give the end user more information about how do we get that? And we need to get better from a machine learning perspective to, to make it more transparent, to essentially help the, the end user understand why, you know, ML came up with that result. Yeah, we've had that for years, and I've had that for years in business applications where the business application would tell you, Monday is the best date. Yeah? And the end user sits in front of it and says, oh, that's great that you think it's Monday, but my opinion is Thursday, so let's split the difference, yeah? which is obviously not the right answer, but it, it all comes back to it wasn't transparent enough. It wasn't clear enough why the recommendation was Monday. So AI explainability, I think we'll see a big, uh, big increase in in transparency, and, and we've seen already a lot of companies, including SAP, doing a lot to to build that into their UI framework so that you know, we make it we make it more real. Um, the next thing, and, and the last thing that I had was augmented reality and computer vision. So, uh, so building on what what Leslie said on the on the retail side, um, that is one of the topics that we see bubbling up through all the software companies at the moment. It is not <clears throat> it is not where we want it to be. And frankly, that is because the devices are not small enough, are not not sort of, you know, um, easy enough to wear. But we believe that with whenever Apple will release their first set of Apple glasses, we will see this wave of, of adoption just because Apple has the necessary juice to, A, make it broad and also make it wearable so that it doesn't feel like you're looking like a, a geek or a nerd that is carrying a device around, but it, it's sort of a just another set of glasses. But that is complemented with all the functionalities that we can develop today. Uh, back to what Eric was saying, I can today point my cell phone at a, at a power pole and tell you what transformers on that power pole, how many, how many insulators are there, what's potentially broken. All of that we can do today, but it is really cumbersome to hold an iPad or an iPhone in front of your eyes rather than sort of driving down the street and have a set of glasses on that can visualize that. Um, applicability there, not just on the, what we call digital supply chain side, but also on the, on the fashion side, um, I firmly believe that in the next three to five years, you, you will put a set of glasses on, or your own glasses for that matter, Bonnie, very nice, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, and you can test a new set yeah, without actually having to go to the store. Uh, you, can, you can just look at yourself, look at yourself in the mirror, and we already have applicability of that, but that's sort of more, which then lets us to, to the last thing, which is digital fashion. So I think, I think that's sort of, a, you know, sort of a tangential thing. Um, I don't know how much money we'll generate out of it as a business, and we, don't, we will not generate money out of it, but it's an interesting one for me is because now people make money by, you know, giving you virtual clothes. So next year I might not show up with a, with a real suit, <laughs> but Uh-oh. I might have a superimposed suit on me. So we'll see. 
Uh oh. Back to you. <laughs> let's hope it. Let's hope it really works. Oh my goodness! I'll have to change the rating for my show. No more. No more G. Uh, Martin, I have to tell you, four letters came to mind when you said there will be a wave that Apple has the juice if they issue glasses, virtual reality glasses. I know the phrase as FOMO, fear of missing out. Everybody who is a, an Apple customer is going to say, "Yeah, I've got two 27-inch iMacs. I've got 15 <laughs> iPhones in the other room. Just just ordered my la- my new one." You know, and now I don't want to miss out on the latest extra special something exciting from Apple, whether I like it or not, whether I use it or not, whether it works or not. I got to be there. So thank you very much. Let's turn to Loic Simone and Loic, talk to us. Uh, you can use a little French if you want. I'm watching a lot of detective shows on Prime, and I only watch them when I have the language spoken in French and the subtitles in English because it's refreshing my familiarity with the language. But don't ask me to say anything intelligent in French. Loic, you're up. Talk to me. No, 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 je ne vais pas parler en français. <laughs> Pourquoi pas? <laughs> I want to share my perspective from a French perspective and also from a social selling perspective, because as you may know, I work in social selling, hence social selling forum, which means, by the way, leveraging, leveraging social networks to sell, to sell ideas, to sell projects, to sell the, the planet, uh, whatever, to sell products and services. And from that perspective, I have three predictions that I want to share with you. Three short ones coming from everything I do online, on LinkedIn, on TikTok, and so to see what's coming. The first is, I think there will be a growing hype and ever more crazy speculation regarding this new gold rush of Web 3.0 of cryptos, metaverse, NFTs, yeah? And I think this will be more and more crazy uh, alongside the 2022. Yeah? I see it a lot on, on, on TikTok where you have tremendous number of people trying to get you into programs, into projects, into investing in cryptos, investing in NFTs and blah, 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 and understanding how, how Web 3.0 will be fantastic for everybody. So that's the first thing. The second one, which is in perspective, in, in relation with the first one, is about the so-called creator economy. You know, all social networks today, every social network is, is going like crazy around uh, about uh, helping creators. No more influencers, by the way, but creators. And even LinkedIn, which is one of my preferred platforms for doing social selling, is playing a copycat kind of game with Clubhouse launching audio, with, with TikToks, Instagram, Instagram, YouTube, and so on, launching live events also, and creator funding, creator funds for those creators. So I think this will be a big, a big deal in 2022 from a social selling perspective, but also from a general social networks perspective. Yeah. Now, all this will unfold, and this is my third prediction, in a growing bipolarization, in a growing chasm between those who really want to tackle social and environmental ecological issues and the rest. And I think we, we will see a lot of tension and a lot, especially on social networks in this area. I don't, I don't tell you what will happen with the French elections in April, but anyway, it will be big issue. So 
So these environmental uh, issues that some are really just uh, still, still not thinking it's, a, it's, it's an important thing. And other people who are more like activists, there will be some heavy fight on social networks. So that's what I wanted to say. And I will add one more thing, yes. which is I suggest that everybody re uh, reads the book from Jaron Lanier, or Lanier, I don't know how it, you say in English, which is 10 arguments for deleting your social networks accounts right now in order not to be manipulated, not to have behavior modifications, not to be addicted to these crazy social networks. That's my uh, <laughs> advice. Merci, Monsieur Simon. Merci bien. I have to tell you that speaking of social networks and manipulating, I just saw an ad by somebody. I, I think I go on Facebook once every couple of weeks if, if the notifications pile up. I, I, can't, I can't be bothered to have to tell everybody how wonderful and beautiful they are all the time, even if I barely remember who they are. It's, it's, it's an obligation. To me, that's an obligation network. You have to go on and say, yes, your family's beautiful. Yes, your, your niece had a great time in college. And yes, everybody did this. And yes, I love, your, I love the meal and I can't wait to see how you made those French fried onions. I think it's great. But uh, there was a woman advertising that she can teach you, of course, she's selling the advice, how to write a novel in 30 days. How to write a novel from start to finish in 30 days. So I'm not sure who's manipulating whom, but I've been working on mine for a year and I've restarted it three times and it's really good, but I can't seem to get it off the plate. But speaking of books, I want to go to our final panelist. She has been so patient waiting, the lovely Isabella Wong. Isabella, I'm putting you on speaker view. We have plenty of time. Go ahead. What are your predictions? <laughs> go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you for all the speaking, uh, I mean, sharings. Like, I just keep laughing from time to time hearing you guys sharing because I just feel like, oh, I got validated my ideas. Because whether you're coming from a machine perspective or a human perspective, I just feel like it just make me feel more and more confirmed of my about what I'm writing about this book that Bonnie was talking about. Because to be honest, at the beginning, I was all over the place. Like, talk about history, talk about machine technology, economics. And I just, I just worked so hard to finding this backbone of my book. Like, what exactly is a pain point I want to talk about? What I want to dig in? And then I started realizing at the end, it's the relationship or I refer intertwined relationship between humans and machines. And I'll elaborate that. Uh, in a little bit, of course. And uh, I'll start my sharing uh, with a few keywords, okay? The keywords about my predictions. And you might feel weird, but bear with me. Number one, philosophy, spirituality, and virtual economy, and quantum technology, and intelligence, okay? So I'll, 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 I'll paint my story so you will, you'll feel me less weird. <laughs> so historically, right, we went from like agriculture and then we come to this industrial and now with these technologies and then we have computers and we have information knowledge, right, information age. And now this technology with biotech, like you all mentioning, artificial intelligence and data algorithm. And now I, I have a strong sense that it feels like we're moving into a very, very weird, exciting direction. It's about intelligence and what intelligence is about. I was Google everywhere. And the funny thing I found is there's no definition, actually. There's different versions, but there's no universal definition. It's something like unseeing and 
we can touch it and virtual spiritual so so in my idea i feel this physical things digital things technology biological things intelligence are integrated and developed whether you call it a lot of people stop calling industrial uh, revolution 4.0 they start calling industrial revolution 4.0 uh, plus or post industrial revolution 4.0 and I started I don't know why I just start feeling like I call it intelligence 1.0 and I actually just shared it yesterday I got like 30 comments and then and people just start start chatting and talking about this because this time this machines really started to empower humans and conduct a uh, a two-way conversation instead of before it's we command the machine it's a one-way interaction and this gives birth to in my opinion a third mind whether it's a mix of human intelligence or machine intelligence everyone have different perspective so it says like to me this very interesting because it, it moves us from a physical reality to a virtual reality and if we say from before we're working on fulfill our physical needs, material words, and uh, centering around this economic constructions, developments. And now I really see we're ch challenging our human wisdom onto a different thing. It's about intelligence, a sp spiritual fulfillment, a spiritual need, a better meaning of life, a greater test of human civil uh, civilization. And what I see from current you can say science or contemporary science or technology with this gene editing, the neural networking, engineering, it's really just expanding on that goal of human beings changing from physical to virtual and from living outside to inside. And this is really what this new living space is what is about. And the next stage we're entering about this internet space in my opinion, will be more and more philosophical than rational. 60% or actually more than, I think 62% of the world population are living on internet. And what I see about this internet space has passed beyond the stage where we use it as a tool to live more you know, convenient, entertaining ourselves. And what I see is this is the main part of our human living where we feel fulfilled in that world. And we're looking to we're actively looking for that spiritual fulfillment or whatever you call it. We can sacrifice our eating time, our drinking time, even our sleeping time just to be on there, active on there and to have a good presence on there. So this new internet space, whatever you call it, Web 3.0 metaverse you are talking about, to me, it's really just a more immersive, interactive, virtual, spiritual space that we all going to be hugely dependent on. And behind this whole thing, we can see a booming, booming virtual economy that is passed beyond the material needs, the material world, and just cut straight to the ultimate purpose of our human existence. And I just, I just summarize it as spiritual fulfillment. And it's actually what being, what we're looking for throughout the time. So to summarize at the end, I will say the future will be more and more and more closely to talking about and about philosophy and spirituality is critical for success, for business, for personal, for anything. And by saying that, I think spirituality and science should start going more and more hand in hand to work together. And quantum technology, why it's so 
mysterious. Like people, like if you want to talk something you don't understand, you will talk about quantum technology because that is kind of the product out of it. So um, Bonnie is doing this. So I just figured out. Uh, <laughs> Time to wrap I up. Think- we have to close. Go ahead, Isabella. Finish up, please. Okay, I'll wrap up with a quote from Bonnie. It's um, do or do not. There's no try. There's no trying. It's a one-way street. There's no way behind. So thank you, Bonnie. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you, Isabella. That was love. I didn't want to cut you off. You were going. So I was watching everybody's reactions to when you were talking, and there were so many smiles and a lot of nods like, yeah, we haven't heard that perspective before. So thank you, all of you. Uh, we have uh, two and a half minutes left, and I have a little a little closing I like to do at the end. I'm going to have you all practice. You're going to be wave, wagging your finger like this on the screen at the end, but not Martin. You've got it. That's right. Loic, very good. You've done it before. So just practice that in your mind. But let's just quickly do this. Does anybody have Aman? I have to let you do this. A favorite drink you oh. had over the holidays. He's dying to share. So go ahead. I'll just call you your name and tell us what you drink. Just one or two words. That's it. No big ex- or a quick recipe in five seconds. Aman, would you have a drink that's special over the holiday? Go. Well, there's an ancient hot spicy English drink called Wasail. It's made by slow cooking fresh apple cider and orange juice and cinnamon. Yeah. That's Thank fine. you. Thank you. Namita, what do you have over the holiday? Anything special? Namita? Martinis. Whoa, okay, good. Leif Erickson, what'd you have? Cognac. All right. Oh, we're getting to the good stuff here. Martin? A German Glühwein. Ooh, Simon? You know, it's got to be eggnog. I really hate eggnog, but I feel obliged to drink some over the There you go. Isabella, favorite drink real fast? Oh, a cocktail. What kind of cocktail? (laughs) Uh, Cocktail uh, agnostic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you think about that we'll come back to you a Eric? virtual cocktail virtual cocktail oh, Eric what do you have two, two teenage sons so we share root beer floats oh which what, what brand of root beer was it mug uh, was it no it was not mug it was A&W mug's my favorite with vanilla ice cream oh Maybe my I'll, long I'll ago far away try it Leslie what did you have over the holiday but you know what I'll go with Amon but my uh, way of looking at that drink I call it mold apple cider so uh, yes mold apple cider nice Loic unmute Loic you're muted love unmute yeah. apple cider and sparkling water Thank you very much. Isabella, you got one more chance. What kind of cocktail? I changed my mind. Uh, I'll choose dry red wine. Okay, very, very good. And mine was, I have a bottle of Bailey's in the fridge and a little slurp in the morning. I live alone, doesn't matter. A little mm, in the morning, just <laughs> fine. And by the afternoon, if I need a little more, a little Kahlua also in the fridge, namaste. I want to thank you all. And here's what we have to do. I want you all to wag that finger. And listen, if somebody comes see you, I'm on Namita, Leif, Martin, Simon, Isabella, Loic, Eric, and Leslie. Somebody says to you, the future is already here. On the count of three, you're going to say, no, no, no. One, two, three. No, 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 no. no. And the reason is that that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to work together to make it a better one. Everybody wave. Bye bye. Don't go away. Bye. Bye, LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. 